3: This is the California Report Magazine, and I'm talking to you from a payphone. Remember those? Phones like this are hard to find. So are a lot of relics of the analog age. But around the Golden State, people are passionate about some of these throwbacks, from typewriters to 80s movies.
4: Bueller. Bueller.
3: We'll take you to an actual video store that's still thriving. We'll visit the oldest California roller rink with a live organist. And we'll tell you why some millennials are obsessed with a 70s tribute band.
5: These, like, 20 somethings come to our shows and know every word and know every song.
3: I'm Sasha Coca, and it's our throwback show. So crank up your boombox, pop your iPod collar, crack open a tab, and enjoy.
2: We're going to start by going back to a time when people headed to the local video store to rent a copy of their favorite movie on VHS. What if?
6: You guys, just what if this map could lead to one-eyed rich stuff? Maybe. Then we wouldn't have to leave the Goondocks. Come on, hey, Mike. I don't want to don't go in anymore of your crazy Goonies. adventure.
2: The Goonies was one classic that folks rented over and over on VHS. Then DVDs took over. Of course, these days, everybody streams their movies online, and -and brick-and-mortar video stores, they're relics of the past. Well, reporter Marisol Medina-Cadena discovered one of those relics still
5: thriving in a Los Angeles suburb. When Martin Felix first started his business in 1989, there was a video store practically on every corner.
6: This shopping center had one across the street. There was two. Behind me, three. There was a Blockbuster Hollywood video. Two over there. I was surrounded by around 15 video stores.
5: Those large chains and mom-and-pop shops are long gone, but his store, Fast Lane Video, in the predominantly Latino suburb of Whittier is still going strong.
6: Okay, this one you've already rented? Is, is it the same one you were going yeah. to run again? Okay, 372 is your total.
5: Fastlane Video is tiny. It's crammed with more than 20,000 DVDs, leaving little room to move around. It feels like I'm in someone's super organized garage with stark fluorescent lighting. Above the register, Trailers for films like Crazy Rich Asians play on the TV. These people aren't just rich; they're crazy. Rich. Standing here, I'm wondering how has this business survived for 30 years?
0: <laughs> okay,
6: you have until Wednesday 9 p.m.
5: It's not an overpriced hipster place with retro decor or organic snacks. They got your favorite junk food like takis, and it's complimentary.
6: And on bottom, you also get your snacks today. What would you like? Popcorn, cracker jacks, cookies, and other snacks. Can I get a? Rice Krispie? Rice Krispie, sure.
5: Born to Mexican immigrants, Martin and his brother Eddie started the biz from their parents' garage in East LA. And he says Fastlane Video is still standing because they've always done things their way, generating fresh ideas.
6: Movies are being delivered electronically now through Netflix, through everything. But we were one of the first to actually pioneer that, to deliver.
5: Remember, this was in 1989, decades before on-demand delivery apps were even a thing. But Martin and Eddie knew they had to set themselves apart from the big companies. So they printed mini catalogs of their VHS collection and took their cue from pizzerias. They began delivering movies to homes around East LA.
6: From Soto all the way down to Whittier Boulevard to the 710 Freeway and the 10 Freeway. So if you lived in that radius, you'd give us a call, we would deliver the movies within half hour.
5: They quickly gained so many customers, they ditched their parents' garage for storefront in Pico Rivera, then settled in Whittier. That's when things really boomed.
4: Right now, Fastlane Records sells the hottest mix cassettes by your favorite DJs with all the music you hear in the clubs on sale now right now for only $9.99.
5: That's That's a TV ad the Felix brothers made for Fastlane video when they expanded their store to include mixtapes and 12-inch records. In the 90s, they promoted big warehouse parties where freestyle and house music reign supreme among mostly Latino crowds. Think big hair, lots of Aquanet, baggy pants, and crop tops. Then in the 2000s, Fastlane Video went digital, switching exclusively to DVDs. Today, the only VHS tapes left in the store are collecting dust above the machines that clean the discs.
6: This is the sound of the machine. I don't know if you'll be able to hear the... But I'm actually um, manually rubbing it against the uh, buffing wheels and got most of those scratches out. And then Besides
5: the, the nostalgia of renting physical copies of movies, a lot of people say they come here for human interaction, to chit-chat about films with a familiar face. Customer Louis Davis comes here every couple of weeks to get superhero movies.
6: I have uh, Marvel's Secret Wars mm-hmm. uh, issue... Eight out of twelve issues. Hold on to that with Venom on the cover, uh-huh. signed by Stanley. Oh wow! Oh, that's going to be worth some money now. Now that he's no longer alive. Wow! And CGC authenticated, so it's in that protective casing. Uh huh.
5: Staying relevant in a changing movie market hasn't been easy for Martin Felix, but what's remained consistent is the longtime community support.
6: Now I have a lot of customers that not just their kids, but probably even their grandkids are renting. So, yeah, four generations that come in here to, to rent movies still.
5: Fastlane video is a reminder of a time when movies brought people together instead of isolating us on our individual screens. And as long as the community keeps coming, Martin says he plans to keep his doors open. For The California Report, I'm Sol Medina-Cadena in Whittier.
2: And now for the next stop on our trip back in time, another place that's brought people together for decades, a place that's survived all kinds of fads and changes in the way we socialize. It sits along an industrial stretch of San Fernando Road in Glendale, and pretty much all you hear is traffic. But on Tuesday nights, there's another sound.
0: The uh, hammered organ is very strong. It fills the rink and you can hear it out in the parking lot. Makes people curious.
2: The Moonlight Rollerway is home to a guy who calls himself the Fabulous Dominic. He's 85, and as reporter Peter Gilstrap tells us, he's California's last live organist at a roller skating rink.
0: This is roller skating, America's favorite fun sport. A wholesome year-round recreation one of our truly great All-American participant sports.
4: That's the way it was in the early 1950s when the Roller Skating Foundation of America made this promo film right around the time the Moonlight Rollerway opened its doors. And that's also when Dominic Cangelosi first took command of a skating rink organ at the original Moonlight location in nearby Pasadena.
0: And at that time, in the 50s, there was nothing but live organ music in most roller skating rinks around the country.
4: Business was so good that the Moonlight expanded, buying this rink in Glendale in 1963. Cangelosi worked both places, but as the years went by, the glory days of skating to an organ began to disappear.
0: Back in the 70s and 80s, I was still working as the staff organist, only part time, because after Elvis Presley, the Beatles, rock and roll came into the picture, they kind of phased out. Live organ music in the skating rinks.
4: But that did not stop Cangelosi. He was determined to keep the sound alive for die hard rollers who craved the human touch. In
0: 1985, he dropped $96,000 and bought the rink. Since I was the organist here for so many years and I took over the business, I kept the live organ music going at least one night a week.
4: That night is Tuesday, and Tuesday is tonight. It's almost 8 p.m., almost time for Cangelosi to fire up the mighty Hammond B3 organ. He sits and opens a spiral notebook filled with aging sheet music. But before he starts, he's on the mic offering a bit of simple zen guidance that applies as much to a roller rink as it does to human existence. Do
0: not stop along the rails. You can fall down and get up as quickly as you can.
4: And then it begins. As they have for decades, people start to skate clockwise under the giant mirrored ball. They're gliding slowly, arms out to the sides. Some are awkward, some are graceful, but almost everyone is smiling.
0: Dominic is special. He,
4: he puts emotion into his music. That's Michael Mannix. He's been here nearly every Tuesday for the last quarter century.
0: His music makes me skate. I just follow the music, and uh, uh, I feel so happy.
7: The music is a nice, relaxing time.
4: Queenie Black is back at the rink for the first time in three years. Before that, she was a long-time regular and a big Dominic fan.
7: And it's funny too. Sometimes he will play modern songs, but he'll have the organ playing like he's our, like, you know. <laughs> Dominic adapts new songs as well
3: as old songs Broadway musical songs everything to his organ and he plays all tempos and people come all from all over just to listen to his music.
4: Betty Palubeski is the rink manager she also works the register and the skate counter and pretty much anything else that needs doing in the place. She's been on the job for 26 years.
3: Tuesday night it kind of breaks, takes you back in time and makes you feel it doesn't matter how
7: old you are it makes you feel young.
0: We do have a following, they're old timers, and we're getting new people all the time. And a lot of young people that find it very interesting to skate to live organ music because it's not heard anywhere else but in a roller
4: rink. One of those young people is about to step into the rink. He has spiky hair dyed white, a ring in his nose, and in large gothic letters across the front of his throat, there's a tattoo that says, leave me alone. I'm Cody Littlefield.
7: Uh, What else do you need? Sorry.
4: Oh, and this is your first time?
7: Yeah, it's my first time here. Never been here before. What do you think? Uh, I love it. The music is sweet, and it makes me want to skate.
4: And then he leaves the walking world and joins the hypnotic circular parade of skaters. Dominic's organ guides them all into the only time machine with a mirror ball and a snack bar. What is the future for a roller rink with a live organist?
0: I don't know. It's just not going to be any after I'm gone. I don't have anybody looking to be a skating rink organist anymore. So the position
4: could be open.
0: Yes, it could be. If somebody wanted to step up, I'd be glad to train them.
4: Cangelosi's shoes are big and fabulous. Filling them will be no easy task. But for now, the organ is alive and well, and the Tuesday nights roll on and on. For the California Report, I'm Peter Gilstrap in Glendale.
2: You're listening to The California Report magazine. It's our throwback show. We're celebrating nostalgia for the analog age. Everything from roller skates to VHS tapes and landline phones. We're at the San Francisco Zoo, and those are great hornbills and bali mina birds squawking. But there's another more unusual sound at the zoo today. That's poet Sylvie Alcevar, clacking away at the keys on her Red Royal manual typewriter. She's here at the zoo for a special event with a very old school offering. She types out original, one-of-a-kind poems on the spot for her customers.
7: I use the typewriter because I think that if I wasn't a poet I would be a sculptor. And so um, there's something about my process that's really kinesthetic. And using the typewriter means that my work gets to come out of my hands.
2: She's a full-time poet who travels around California lugging her manual typewriter to events like weddings or museum openings. I really
7: like not having to deal with like anything that's electrically powered that might go wrong or... Um, distractions from the internet, like that's one of the reasons I actually started writing on the typewriter. For me, the analog way just keeps things simple, and it invokes a nostalgia for people, even if it's a nostalgia for a time that wasn't theirs. (laughs) Parents often say to their children, oh, this is what we used before computers, this is the original computer, and I always look at the kid and I say, well, actually the computer is in your brain, and this is the printer.
2: One by one, people approach Sylvie's table and choose from a selection of writing paper. Ooh, which paper do I choose? Any Oh, okay. Some share deep secrets. Sylvie listens attentively as she types. Our producer Anna Sterla lives in a co-op. She asks Sylvie to write a poem about what it's like to cook for 65 people.
7: What a thing to sleep and wake with 65 members of a home who are not related by blood, but by spending hours a week over the stove, browning seitan and steaming rice. Strangers turn true friends. All this cooperation being necessary and temporary, but forever held in the same place memory holds love. I just think it's magical and pretty preposterous and absolutely incredible that I get to do this as my job. And that when I say to people, would you like a poem, they often say back to me, I need a poem. And I will never stop being humbled and surprised and completely delighted by the need for poetry. Poet
2: Sylvie Alcevar and her typewriter. You're listening to the California Report Magazine's Throwback Show. A lot of us feel attached to music from earlier decades. There's just something about those sun-drenched harmonies from the 1970s that evoke memories of cruising down the California coast with music blasting on the radio. Songs like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac were on heavy rotation back then. And here's the thing, they still are.
4: Don't play the part, break the mold. Don't go with the crowd, go your own way.
2: If you start paying attention, you'll hear Fleetwood Mac music everywhere, in car commercials, at grocery stores. A new generation has claimed the band's music as their own. It's almost like they're discovering it for the first time. And there are some numbers behind this. Fleetwood Mac has seen a 58% uptick in listening among millennials on Spotify. Which may explain why a Bay Area based tribute band has become so popular. (laughs) These like 20-somethings come to our shows and know every word and know every song. That's Kirsten Schallenberg. She's the singer and keyboard player for Fleetwood Macrame. We sent our intern and resident fangirl, Asala Sanapur, to learn more about why this music still resonates.
8: Thank you! Thank you so much. Now I know. I know all of you guys are going to sing along
9: to this one. Fleetwood Macrame shows are intimate, but electric. And they're not a tribute band that simply mimics their inspiration.
8: I'm not trying to be Stevie Nicks, but I'm listening to the album in my mind.
9: That's Linda Moody, the Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Macrame.
8: I think I see our band as sort of like camp song leaders, and um, when we invite everybody to pretend that they are in the band with us, then they get to kind of relive whatever the songs mean to them.
9: Linda locks eyes with the crowd between screaming into the mic and shaking around her wild curls. That's why it doesn't surprise me that the bands forge deep connections with their fans. Like Lisa Merigian, who goes by Binky. I spotted her air drumming from the very front row.
1: I'm less super fan. I'm like a Fleetwood Macrame super fan.
9: Binky comes to every show, along with her mom.
3: Hi, my name is Diane Payne, and I just moved up here from Paradise, California to live with my daughter.
9: Diane lost her home in the campfire last November. She's attended about a dozen shows since then.
3: It made me feel good, and I think this makes you feel good. And the crowd gets into it and sings along, and it just lifts you up.
9: Kirsten, the keyboardist, says the music's offered a sort of refuge during life's difficult moments
5: america feels more
2: unsure than it has in the past i mean it doesn't feel as stable and our shows provide this big sense of community and you get to come and sing your heart out and express all of these emotions
9: which some tarot card reading karma believing mystical millennials process through music
8: and that explains why you know people in the audience are crying hearing these songs because they mean so much, and if, if you're a musician or if you're a big fan of music like I am, music has saved your life. This music, I feel like, it just really brings everybody together, and it feels like family. And um, so, we hope you'll sing with us.
9: Linda and the majority of Fleetwood Macrame are queer. The band says the lyrics lend themselves to the misfits, the outsiders, the young people coming into their sexuality. For drummer Jaybird Carroll, the music takes her back to being a queer kid, growing up around the Midwest and Texas.
8: I found my identity with, with that band in a lot of ways because, like Linda said, it is, it's a very universal message, but it speaks to everyone no matter where you come from or what walk of life.
9: Tanner Smith's a marketing guy who lives in San Francisco. Like so many people here, the tribute band reminds him of the original Fleetwood Mac, which he saw live in D.C. a few years ago.
4: I was just sitting here with this vat of popcorn, and they started playing landslide. And I started crying into this popcorn.
1: You should cry.
8: You really should cry if you don't. Something's wrong. And by the end of the night, people really are arm in arm, swaying singing at the top of their lungs. It's, it's like goosebump good.
9: This music makes you feel like you're being wrapped in one of Stevie's silk shawls. It resonates because no matter what life's thrown your way, you can find yourself reflected in these lyrics. Here, tonight, Fleetwood Macrame holds space for anyone in search of crystal visions and a sprinkle of gold dust. For the California Poor, I'm Asal poor. So Fleetwood
2: Mac has aged pretty well over the decades, but changing times can change your perspective.
4: Bueller. Bueller.
2: If you were a teenager like me back in the 1980s, you've probably got a special spot in your heart for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Fry. I remember it as this fun movie about this kid who got away with cutting school, and he got to spend the day zooming around in a Ferrari. But when you re-watch the movie 30 years later, it actually raises some interesting questions about mental health. The California Report's health correspondent, April Demboski, found that out when she watched the movie with a couple teenagers and their dad.
6: Oh, wait.
8: David Singer clicks through iTunes to pull up Ferris Bueller, a film he watched at least 12 times when it first came out.
6: Uh, Bingo. 1986. Really? Yeah.
1: No.
8: He has high hopes as he settles in to watch it with his wife and their two daughters, Emma, okay. who's 13, and Elliot, who's 16.
5: Always an
6: age. Yeah, I want him to fall in love with it just the way I did. He's just having a load of fun, a load of fun. And everyone has a friend, like his buddy, who's kind of sad-sack.
8: That sad-sack is Cameron Fry. In the 80s, that's what we called people who were so down they couldn't get out of bed.
6: I'm
0: dying. You're not dying. You just can't think of anything good to do.
8: But watching the film from today's perspective and applying today's vocabulary, it's pretty clear that Cameron was depressed and anxious, His fear was the foil to Ferris's free spirit. When they borrow Cameron's dad's precious Ferrari and things go wrong, Cameron loses it and spends the next several scenes in a catatonic state.
6: Maybe he's really sick. Maybe he isn't just torturing himself.
8: Then he tumbles into a swimming pool, fully closed, and sinks to the bottom. Ferris dives in to save him. Hey, Cameron. Cam, Cameron, wake up. It's an ambiguous move, in the end, a prank, but with hints of suicide.
6: Ferris Bueller, you're my hero.
8: When David Singer watched this film in the 80s, he thought of Ferris as a hero. But that wasn't his daughter Elliot's first reaction.
6: What'd you think, though?
5: kind of hated him. Why? Ferris kind of sucks. Like, he's a very fun character, but he's also kind of an asshole.
8: Plus this whole taking a day off from school business, pretending to be sick... That's not how it goes down in her world. Elliot's a high school junior in San Francisco.
5: People come to school sick because it's honestly at at the type of school I'm at, it's more stressful not to be at school. Going and like going and having a fun day is really fun, but it's also not fun. The amount of stuff you miss in a
8: day. Since Ferris Bueller was made, teenage suicide rates have spiked, especially among young girls. And 70% of today's teens view anxiety and depression as a major problem.
3: The viewing public is is much more attuned to mental illness and the, the problems confronting people who are coping with mental illness.
8: Psychologist Danny Wedding literally wrote the textbook on mental illness in the movies. In the 1980s,
3: there might have been a tendency to see these as just rebellious teenagers misbehaving and causing trouble. And and I, I think now we're more likely to be sensitive to the, the mental illness themes and, and to see Cameron as somebody coping with depression.
8: During this era, movies were rife with subtle messages about mental illness, often through a sidekick character like Cameron. Wedding says things started to change in the late 80s and 90s with films like Rain Man that started explicitly addressing mental health. But some myths persisted. The most common one?
3: Love will conquer mental illness.
8: You see this everywhere. A Beautiful Mind, Benny and June, and even Ferris Bueller. Cameron has a total breakthrough at the end of the film. He decides he's not going to live in fear anymore. I gotta take a stand. And all it took was a day off from school with his best friend.
0: I'm just tired of being afraid.
8: Today's teenagers, Emma and Elliot Singer, say, yeah, right.
0: It's not realistic.
4: I
8: kind of agree. I think it was like an abrupt, romanticized (laughs) transition for him. Their dad makes his case, tries to bring them around. He says the themes from the movie back then are the same as they are now.
6: We have different words and maybe we talk about them more with more specificity or more transparency, but they were all still there, right? Anxiety for teenagers, anxiety about the future, where are you going to go to college? It's like age old.
8: Elliot says, I don't know. It was funny. Maybe if she watches it another 11 times, she'll see what her dad sees. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski.
3: And that's our throwback show, taking you back in time to the Analog Age. The California Report magazine is your weekend storytelling show from The California Report. You can listen to all of our shows if you subscribe to our podcast. Just look for the bear wearing earbuds. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our technical producer is Theo Muller with additional engineering from Rob Spain. Susie Racho directs our show. Our senior editor is Victoria Maleon. Our editorial team this week also includes Anna Sterla. Sal David Marks, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Okay, see ya. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. College Futures Foundation, more graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems.
4: Hey,
8: it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment.
3: with an S, thanks.